If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15 today. On Tuesday, May 8th, 1945, Great Britain and the United States and other allied nations celebrated VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, as Nazi Germany unconditionally surrendered to the Allies. It had been a long and bloody war with Millions of military men and women dying across Europe as the Nazi war machine tried to to conquer or destroy many of the nations that were around them. And this war had not only seen the, the deaths of millions of people in the military, but millions of innocent civilians also had been slaughtered. Many died as the bombs came raining down from the sky, but millions more had been brutally killed in concentration camps. As the German military rounded up Jews, and they systematically murdered thousands of them on a daily basis. Now, all war is unpleasant, but this war had been the worst war in the history of the world. By 1945, Millions lay dead, millions more were injured, many had lost their homes and their possessions, many more had lost their, their fathers, their sons, their brothers or husbands, and the Allied nations had been fighting Nazi Germany for almost six years. But on May 8th, the Allied nations had achieved victory. Finally, the fascist Nazi beast had been beaten. Finally, the mass killing had ended. Finally, the soldiers were returning home. Finally, there was peace. Children danced in the street. People yelled for joy. Thousands went down the avenues in parades, waving flags. People smiled and sang. Everyone across Great Britain and the United States was rejoicing. But there was not much rejoicing going on in Germany. The Nazi regime had been beaten And the dejected and gloomy German soldiers slowly trudged back to their home country. The German army had lost. And not only was that depressing to many, but it also brought many others great fear. For those Nazi SS officers who had participated in the mass murder of innocent Jews during the World War, VE Day was a sign that judgment was coming. And within a few years, several dozen of the worst Nazis were convicted of war crimes and executed. What had been a joyful victory for some was not celebrated or enjoyed by others. Now I say all of this because last week we talked about the greatest victory 
in the history of the world. Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. A victory that had brought great joy to some, as Jesus, rising from the dead, proved that He was the promised Christ, the Son of God, the one who would rule an eternal kingdom and would save His people from their sins. And it brought joy to some as Jesus' resurrection showed that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus had died to pay for the sins of His people and Jesus conquering death showed that God had accepted Jesus dying in their place and that all believers could be forgiven of their sins. And it brought great joy to some because Jesus' resurrection showed that he had defeated death, and that believers could receive eternal life through what he had accomplished. So Jesus' resurrection was a massive victory for some. But that victory was not celebrated or enjoyed by others. For Jesus' victory, that, that meant to some people who opposed him and got him executed, it meant that they had been defeated. And, and not only to defeat it, it also meant that judgment was on its way. Last week we saw the joy at Jesus' victory, but this week we are going to see something much, much different. As those who had been defeated did the worst possible thing they could do. They continued to harden their hearts. And as we examine this passage, we're going to see the hardness of unbelief, the danger of lies, and the wonderful reality that truth will always be victorious. So if you would please look with me at Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Lord God, I thank you for the book of Matthew. We thank you so much that every single one of these verses is valuable and is life transforming. I ask God that as we as we walk through this passage, that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to, to see the, the danger of lies, that you would help us to see the danger of hardening our hearts, and that you would give us joy as we see that truth is going to win out in the end. I ask that you'd help keep us focused. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to better follow along today, there's an outline of our sermon on the back of your bulletin. We're going to begin with the story. The story. 
Matthew 28, verse 11 says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, the text right above this passage that we're talking about uh, talks about the women who saw the empty tomb, heard the angel tell them that Jesus had risen, met the resurrected Christ, and had been commanded to go and tell the disciples about Jesus' victory over death. So the beginning part of verse 11, while they were going, is talking about the women who were going to proclaim the resurrection. So while these women joyfully went to tell the news to people who loved Jesus, the soldiers who had guarded the tomb fearfully went to tell the news to those who hated Jesus. We saw back in Matthew 27 that the Jewish leaders had asked and received soldiers from Pilate, the, the governor over Judea. The Jewish leaders had Remember that Jesus had prophesied that he would die and be raised on the third day, and they had been concerned that the disciples might, might break in and, and steal Jesus' body from the tomb, and then on the third day, pretend that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the Jewish leaders convinced Pilate to assign them some men. They put a seal on the stone that had been rolled to cover the entrance to the tomb, and those Roman soldiers began to guard the entrance. But in Matthew 28, we saw how an angel in dazzling white clothing descended from heaven, caused an earthquake, and rolled back the stone from the tomb. The guards had been so terrified that they became completely incapacitated, either fainting or utterly freezing out of fear. But as time went on, they must have been able to regain their senses, as verse 11 says that some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. The chief priests controlled everything that went on in the temple and were some of the most powerful Jews in Israel. Pilate had assigned the soldiers to these Jewish leaders, and, and so it's possible that's why they went to the chief priest's report and not to Pilate. Or they might have thought that the chief priest would be less severe than Pilate on them as they had failed in their duty to protect the tomb. And the consequences for that failure could be very severe. But for whatever reason, these soldiers went into the city, and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They gave the Jewish leaders the full story. They explained everything that they had seen and heard. The earthquake, the, the dazzling angel descending from heaven, the empty tomb, the stone being rolled away. They described all that had taken place. Which means that the chief priests now had the whole story. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew that Jesus had proved his identity as the Christ, as the Son of God. They knew that Jesus was the Savior and eternal King. But they responded to that truth in the worst possible way. Which brings us to our next point. The scheme the scheme. Matthew 28, verses 
12 through 14 says, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Instead of believing the obvious truth that Jesus had risen from the dead, instead of admitting their guilt and turning to Jesus, instead of repenting, the Jewish leaders' hearts stayed hard and they tried all they could to cover up the truth. But as we're going to see, their cover-up was a pretty sad attempt. The chief priests first assembled with the elders. They got the rest of the Jewish civil leadership together. They had their little powwow and they took counsel together. They discussed the matter among themselves and carefully came up with a plan. The first part of that plan involved bribing the soldiers. As verse 12 says, they gave a sufficient sum of money to them. They paid off the guards in order to get them to tell a deceptive version of what had occurred. They didn't just buy the guards' silence. They bought a lie. They told them that they would protect them if that lie was heard by the governor, saying in verse 14, And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They explained the falsehood they wanted circulated in verse 13, saying, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. The Jewish leaders' scheme to cover up the miraculous resurrection of Jesus involved the guards actively telling people that while they were uh, guarding the tomb, they, they took a nap and the disciples snuck in and stole the body of Jesus. Now, this is a ridiculous, illogical, and obvious lie. And I say that for a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus' disciples had been acting like cowards, not bold bandits. They abandoned Jesus in the garden, and all of them except for John uh, appears that none of them except for him showed up at Jesus' crucifixion. They did not show courage while Jesus was alive, and yet supposedly they showed a massive amount of courage after he was dead. The idea that they boldly broke into a tomb guarded by fully armed Roman soldiers does not line up with what we have seen of the disciples. Number two, the guards were professional Roman soldiers with every incentive to stay awake. These guards were, were not a disorganized band of thugs. They were part of the Roman army, the toughest, the most professional military in the entire world at that time. They would not have taken their duties so lightly, and they would have had the stamina and the training to stay awake on the job. Also, because there were multiple soldiers, they, they could have taken turns staying awake, each group of soldiers taking a certain part of the night, which means that none of them would have had that long a period to stay awake. Also, Roman soldiers falling asleep on guard duty would often be punished with death 
which is why the Jewish leaders promised to protect the soldiers if the governor heard the lie about them falling asleep. So the guards would have been highly motivated to make sure that they stayed awake. Number three, the guards would not have stayed asleep while the stone was being rolled away. The stone was a a huge rock, big enough to cover the whole entrance of the tomb. In fact, it was so large, in Mark 16, it says that the women on their way to the tomb didn't think they could move the stone themselves, and were, were trying to figure out who could move it for them. If the stone was so large that a whole group of women would have had trouble moving it, then it would not be a quiet thing to get that stone out of the way. You may be able to to silently open a a door and be able to, to sneak in, but a bunch of guys pushing a massive stone out of a tomb's entrance is going to make a lot of noise. And unless the guards were all super hard sleepers with earplugs in, they would have woke up to the sound of the stone being moved. Number four, if the guards were asleep, follow this here, if the guards were asleep, they would not know that the disciples stole the body. Think about that. If the soldiers were all snoozing, how did they know that the disciples broke into the tomb and took Jesus' body? Logically, the guards could not have been both asleep and awake at the same time, which means they would have had no idea what happened to the body. And finally, number five, if the soldiers knew that the disciples stole the body, the disciples would have been arrested and charged. Robbing tombs was illegal. And the Roman governor had an official group of soldiers guarding that tomb, which means that if the soldiers did actually know that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body, the disciples would have been arrested and punished for their crime But no such arrest was ever made. So, the Jewish leader's scheme to get the guards to spread this fake story was a ridiculous, illogical, and obvious lie. But because of the payments and the protection of the Jewish leaders, the guards were willing to proclaim this lie. Which leads us to our next point, the spread. The spread. Matthew 28, verse 15 says, So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The soldiers accepted the bribe. They told the fake story about the disciples stealing the body while the soldiers were asleep. And this lie did not die out, but according to the end of verse 15, this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Meaning, at the time of the writing of Matthew, the lie about the disciples stealing this body was still being told. Matthew is probably written in the uh, 50 to, to 70 AD period, which means that this lie was still being told several 
decades after Jesus' resurrection. The evidence for this lie was non-existent, and the evidence for Jesus' resurrection was massive, but lies don't always have to be credible lies for them to be believed and for them to be advanced among people. And this obvious lie, a lie that deceived people about the only Savior in this world, a lie that denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, a lie that led people away from the eternal salvation, that lie lasted and spread far and wide among the Jews. As we come to the end of this passage, uh, I want to end by looking at three things we should learn from this text. Number one, people have hard hearts. People have hard hearts. The Jewish leaders had already received an, an overwhelming amount of evidence that Jesus was the promised Christ, the Son of God. They had witnessed his perfect life. They had heard his powerful preaching. They had seen his marvelous miracles. They had recognized his fulfillment of the scriptures. And yet, they still hated him. They still opposed him. And they were instrumental in his execution. But the thing that most displayed their hard hearts and complete unwillingness to turn to Jesus was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The Jewish leaders had evidence that everything that Jesus had claimed was true. They had evidence that the man that they had executed was now alive. They had evidence that Jesus was the promised Savior, the eternal King. And yet, they purposely ignored the truth. They were not ignorant of the truth. They were not confused about the truth. They knew the truth. And yet they still rejected it. We need to remember that the primary reason that people reject the truth about Jesus is not because of lack of information, but because their hearts have been hardened by sin. Which is why that we should not put all of our hope into convincing people with, with various forms of evidence. Evidence is not the primary thing needed. A new heart is what is needed. Which is why we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus while praying that God would soften the hearts of the unbelievers around us. Praying that God would use the gospel to transform hearts. Number two, lies are dangerous. Lies are dangerous. The Jewish leaders had all the evidence they needed, but instead of believing that evidence, they tried to hide and distort it, and their lie spread far and wide and lasted for many years, deceiving many people about the most important thing that has ever happened in history, leading people away from the one person who could save them. 
Jesus' perfect life and His death for our sins was necessary for believers to be saved, but without the resurrection, Jesus is a liar whose sacrifice was not accepted by God and cannot give life to anyone. The lie that the Jewish leaders spread pushed people away from the very good news that could save souls. Lies are dangerous things, but never more dangerous than when they involve the only person who can bring us forgiveness, can save us from hell, and can grant us eternal life. Which means we must do all we can to fight lies about Jesus with the truth. We must be people of the truth who regularly speak the truth about Jesus to others. Lastly, number three, truth will triumph. Truth will triumph. Even with the soldiers spreading this lie and the highest officials and leaders in Israel supporting this lie, the truth could not be defeated. As we're going to see next week, Jesus commissioned his disciples to proclaim good news throughout the world. And if you look through the book of Acts, you can see that truth being spread and believed. And if you look at our world today, you can still see that truth being spread and believed. And at the end of time, the truth about Jesus will be made known to all. Lies can deceive for a time. Lies can damage and lead people towards hell. But lies will not win out in the end. In the end, truth will triumph. And in that, we should rejoice. Lord God, we do thank you so much that your truth is going to win out in the end. We thank you, God, that your truth is more powerful than lies. God, we know that the lies that have been spread about the resurrection of Jesus are are only the tip of the iceberg of of the massive amount of lies that have been thrown out about about your, your truth, about the Bible, about your Son, We know that there are so many lies out there and there are so many people who are believing all those lies. And I ask God that that you would soften people's hearts. I ask God first and foremost for the people that are sitting here today that if there's anyone here who has hardened their hearts and has been unwilling to turn to your son, that you would soften their heart that you would lead them to believe and to trust in your Son as their Savior and Lord. And I ask as well, God, that you would help us to continue to give the truth about your Son's death and resurrection to the people around us, and that we would pray for the people around us, that we would pray that their hearts would be softened and that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. Help us, God, to study your word. Help us to become people of the truth who care about the truth. And help us, Lord God, to rejoice knowing that in the end, truth will be made known. That in 
In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Help us to rejoice in that this week. And in His name we pray. Amen.